why would Nomad's List ever put any American city on their top 50? does not make sense. The places that are good to live in generally have good APIs. Maybe not the best UI. I don't know what it is, but a bucket cap, much like certain people you might have dated in your past, pretty good after two drinks, not so great before two drinks. It's like seeing your teacher at Subway. You're like, I am high as shit right now. I cannot be ordering this turkey melt next to you. I see a lot of competitive events that are continuing to raise their prices. As a feature of the event, they raise the prices, right? Yeah. Well, only people that can spend $8,000 can come to this event. That's a feature of the event. And I think the way we're competing right now is by going the opposite direction. Because at a certain point, it doesn't matter how rich you are, you're going to start to look at value. I think it was inspiring for a lot of us remembering that the path to get to where we want to be in life isn't clear. We don't know how we're going to get there necessarily. We just know where we want to go. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. All right, so Ian, we just finished our DCBKK recap. I can't believe I have a voice left. We talked about all sorts of things, including analyzing locations by the UI versus API of a place, why Thailand might have the world's best UI. We're going to talk about some of our biggest conference takeaways, our strategy for 2024, some business trends and takeaways from the community and the industry. We're going to round out the episode with some of our favorite stories from DCBKK 2023. All right, we're back. The mics are fired up. The concept of the episode, let's recap. DCBKK, our biggest event of the year, our longest running event, 400 entrepreneurs in Bangkok, Thailand. It's kind of hard to sum up in a whole episode, but we're going to try. Let's do it, man. All right. So I want to take you on a jet-lagged walk that I had. Well, a tired walk, a balmy Monday morning, walking through the streets of Bangkok at like 6 a.m. And I'm reflecting on the whole conference. And what comes to my mind? Was it the tasty business takeaways? All the new relationships I made? How amazing it was to hang out with 400 other founders in Bangkok? No. What I was thinking about was selling all my shit and moving to Thailand. Why? Bangkok, and Thailand specifically, probably has the world's greatest user interface. Before you get into this, because I do want to hear about Thailand's user interface, you have many a days woken up, sold all your shit, and moved to Thailand. So this is not a new idea, but maybe for the fifth time, yes. Yes. So the punchline is walking down a balmy street in Bangkok, I was inspired to think of this challenge of why many nomads struggle to find a home. And I had a bunch of conversations about this at the conference, and they go something like this. I moved to this place. It has incredible weather, incredible people. I got a great apartment. I've paid a bunch of money to the government to get this special kind of visa here. You know, maybe a common place like this would be, a, call it Lisbon, a place like this. Yet it doesn't feel like home. For one or two or three reasons, it's not working out for me. 
legislation's changed, something about the vibe, something. And so now I'm looking for a new home. And we're sort of looking at Thailand, of course, because same deal, right? Weather, people, cost, bam, world-class UI, user interface, world-class design, beautiful. If you're by the beaches and the mountains, you go down to the UI level, how easy it is to get a personal trainer, a gym, healthy food, friends to hang out with on the weekends, transportation. UI slick. We're moving. But one of the things I've thought a lot about in the past five years is what about the API? And the API is when you're really looking to build something over a longer period of time, say six months to six years, you got to start interacting with that place on a level that goes beyond the surface. If you're looking for a place that you call home, the API also needs to make sense for you. Or else, if you're just living at the UI level, you're going to feel that discomfort over time as you start to make API calls and they stop working out. This is the classic expat statement. It was good until it wasn't. Well, it was good until you made an API call. So I think what happens when we look at, we can use Nomads as an example. We often will rank places based on their UI. And I recently had a conversation. Remember Ramirez, who wrote the American Dream article? Yeah. Inside story, I met with Ramirez a week after that podcast episode. Turns out he's an amazing guy. And we had a really interesting conversation. He was a little bit confused about the nomad calculus in Austin, Texas. And I said, here's the thing. Austin, Texas does not have a good UI. Terrible. Horrible UI. Part of the reason it has a bad UI, if you want to have affordable, good accommodation, you need to commit for one year. If you want to have affordable, good transportation, you need to buy a car, which requires you to get car insurance. There's a lot of factors that make the UI a tough place to spend six weeks to six months. Yeah. That's the UI phase of a location. Essentially like ramp up time, right? Like you get to Austin, especially if you're not from America, you're coming in from Germany or something like that. You get to Austin, like the ramp up that it takes to get plugged into Austin. It's almost unimaginable for me. It's like bad you out like how to do it. Even as an American that lives here, it would be it would be crazy. Now you contrast that with when you go to Bangkok, it's like, well, first of all, I'm just going to stay in a five-star hotel for six days until I figure this out at a total cost of $400. First-class citizen, your first day. Right. Yeah. I'm going to take a grab everywhere, which is the equivalent to Uber, except for a cost of fourth the price, if not less. I'm going to eat amazing food, which I just casually bump into. There's no reason to like open up my apps here. I just walked down the street and I follow my nose. Whereas in Austin... You can't walk down any street hardly because you have to get in a car because American cities are built with that idea. 100%. So, tons of friction in Austin, not so much friction in Bangkok, meaning the initial UI is very easy to deal with. Yeah, it used to suck coming back here for short-term visits for me. And I totally understood what Ramirez was talking about. I was like, man, I was living amazing abroad and now I'm living like a pauper. This sucks coming back to America. This UI sucks. Why would Nomads List ever put any American city on their top 50? Does not make sense. Fast forward to this conversation I'm having at DCBKK and a long-term traveler is saying to me, I'm having a hard time finding a home. This is a person very wealthy, sort of bounced around to a lot of different locations. 
has had all the kind of fancy visas and we're talking about the same sorts of things. We're talking about saunas and food and people and all this kind of stuff. And I thought to myself, what about the API? The API is past that six month period, call it six months to six years, where you're plugging in to a system. So if you think about Twitter as an example application, you get the design and you get the UI, which is like where you put your tweet, you hit reply and you retweet or X, you repost nowadays. The API is you say, hey, I want to build a business on Twitter and I'm going to have to make calls into their company. So I'm going to have a relationship now where I'm pulling data and sending data to the app. This in a sort of a nomad context would be maybe visas, educations, legal situations, the police. API could be owning property. And my point to Ramirez was, if you were to sort based on APIs, six months to six years, you might look at Austin a little bit differently. The reason is, he himself came here for study abroad. Why would someone from Europe come to an American institution to study abroad? Well, if you're a software developer, you could double your income. You could double your income. That's an API call. That's not a UI thing. You're not going to double your income in six months. You're going to have to get the piece of paper from the American university, get the relationships, and then join an American technology company. You're not going to mind signing the one-year lease or getting the auto insurance because you're getting paid double. That's an API call. And one of the interesting things when you think about this framework for thinking about locations as we consider new places to move or to explore, to spend the summers or the winters or whatever, is that APIs are often less predictable. Here's why. You got an app like Twitter. You got millions of people using the app. They are forming how the UI works. It's hard to make UI changes when you got millions of people using an app. But the API is controlled by a few people with power. And they can make decisions overnight that change your fortunes. One example that's personal in my case. Many listeners will know I have the Thai Elite Visa that I bought during the first few months of COVID. Part of the reason is there was tax legislation in Thailand that suggested that I could make my money back on that investment in one year, which is indeed true until a few months ago when that legislation was changed. I was speaking with some other travelers at the conference. Same things happening in European countries. They decide that, hey, the UI of Spain's going to stay the same. It's still going to be tapas. It's still going to be sunshine. It's still going to be amazing walkable cities. But all of a sudden, the APIs change, which is how you can stay here, the tax regime, the situation that might be the case with your family, your real estate, your education, things like that. And so anyway, I might be belaboring the point, but I do think it's interesting. We love to talk location on the pod. And the question is, hey, are we looking for a great UI or are we going wholesale? Are we going industrial? Are we getting serious about a place? Let's start to talk about the APIs. Let's talk about how we're going to plug in and what our six-month to six-year time frame looks like and what places might most benefit us there. I think you see a whole different list pop up. And it's still a lot of the same usual suspects, of course, but a lot of things will change. Your take? I mean, this is a good framework 
for trying to figure out why places are good to vacation versus live in. The places that are good to live in, they generally have good APIs. Maybe not the best UI, like Austin chose to live here. UI is difficult. Took several years to ramp up here and figure out what the hell is going on. But the API is good, meaning there's a lot of consistency in my life. I know what to expect. The rug, as you mentioned in your uh, Thai Elite visa, is not going to get pulled out from underneath me when I least expect it. And that's the kind of things that I like for a place that I live. Now, when I go adventure, maybe you're kind of like also willing to endure some of these headaches or problems. Yeah, I think the framework is a response to these two fundamental conversations, Ian, where you could see deep frustration and confusion, you know, like genuinely trying to figure things out. Like when the first conversation here in Austin, Texas, it's like, I'm confused. Why do so many cool people live here? My life sucks here right now. And I felt the exact same way. So I know exactly how that feels to take a downshift to move to this city. It doesn't even look nice. Like it looks like dog shit. It doesn't look nice at all. Why am I here? You know, like there's this deep kind of WTF moment. But if you consider those API things, one of the things, shout out to Dave Perel, he pointed to in his wonderful article, which is essentially about Austin's API. We'll link to it in the show notes. He says, Austin has a really interesting combination of people who both are relatively high ambitious and plan to stay there for a long time. Whereas if you look at other cities like Bangkok, like New York, when you have high ambition people, they tend to not want to stay there for a long time. So his kind of point was, yeah, Austin isn't a 10 out of 10 across the board, but it has this unique combination, which is an API feature, which is relatively ambitious people stay there for a long period of time, higher levels of cooperation over competition. Interesting insight. Now, fast forward to the other conversation, I'm seeing the same kind of frustration in the opposite direction, which is, hey, why can't I feel like this place is my home? It has everything I ever wanted. It has the weather. It has the people. It has the apartments. It's a great cost. I have the golden visa. What's my problem here? And your problem isn't the UI. At a certain point, you're going to need to make a data call. (laughs) You're Mm going to need to plug in. And you might not like how that feels. So there you go. If you're confused about your location, consider, are we looking at the UI? Are we looking at the API? And what matters right now? And I'll tell you what matters to me right now in a DCBKK recap episode. Thailand's got the best UI in the world. World champ, hands down. Back-to-back champs, you cannot beat it. Thailand's got the best UI in the world, no question about it. All right, Ian, it's time for the hard sell. We are reopening DC Black. DC Black is our community for seven and eight-figure founders. If you're selling more than a million dollars of product every year or services, or really pretty much anything, well, there's some exclusions here. There's some I mean, exclusions. No shady businesses, please. Uh, almost anything. Join us in DC Black, which is just an incredible assemblage of talent. In fact, we met over 30 of them in Bangkok. Ian, what was it like meeting the DC Black crew in person? Well, first of all, we rented a private boat and sailed around Bangkok, which was <laughs> extremely cool. <laughs> I hadn't been down on the river, by the way, in a long time. And I was like imagining us just like trudging through trash. But uh, we found the nicest boat in Bangkok and we rented it out for the day. It was super cool. 
Is it basically you're like, was the product calculus there rich people? Hmm. Boat. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what do people do uh, after they buy a pair of boat shoes? They rent a boat. <laughs> <laughs> so we rented a boat in Bangkok. We had a private mastermind day too for these folks. And then we did some other cool things like organize some dinners. But generally speaking, this is like a product of our own success in a lot of ways. The DC has gotten big, which is great. There's like over a thousand members now. And so it's kind of hard to figure out like, who are the hitters? How do I meet them? And my standard response, looking back on it, was pretty sh**, which was essentially like, oh, like hang around for four or five years. I'm sure like bump into Keep them. showing up. Yeah, yeah. Fly around the world. Exactly. It's like, come to Bangkok four times. I'm sure you'll walk away with three people that you really like that are at a similar level as you. Yeah, that sucks. So DC Black, in a lot of ways, solves that problem. Cuts down the noise, which in some cases is what people want. They want to get right to the meat and potatoes with people that are in a similar position as them. Most of the time, very aggressive looking at growth in their company. Yeah, and it's been a challenge. I look at my mastermind table. We had guest mastermind facilitators. I've got two follow-up calls from my mastermind. It's access to, right? You get access directly to you, to Claire, to facilitators. You get connected right away. So it's, it's a little bit of a, it's a speed lane. Yep. There's that element. And there's also the element that our members have challenged us. They said, look, I love hanging around in this community for five years. I did the DC Hajj for five years. I also want more. Now I have a $5 million business. I've got 20 people that depend on me. I want to still do the DC Hajj, but I also want to be in good hands. I want to make sure that I'm surrounded by people with professionals, with executive coaches, with people that I can ensure that I'm not going to screw up this $5 million opportunity. I want to push it to 10 and I want to be in good hands. That's what DC Black is designed for. So this is a direct challenge and ask from our members. So far, it's been great. DC Black members showed up in force to DCBKK to share their knowledge and wisdom to the DC community as a whole. So far, so good if you want to be a part of it. We're only open until November 10th. That is the deadline, which means if you're listening to this right now, before November 10th, you still have an opportunity to head over to the website, click through on your phone, and let us know you're interested. It's critical that you get in before November 10th so we can get us set up for a wonderful 2024 and hit the ground running. Hey, if you like the show, just want to remind you, we have a website, tropicalmba.com. You click through on your phone, check us out on the web, hit that subscribe button. I write the newsletter every week. There's a lot going on behind the scenes of the pod. That's the best way to find out about upcoming events, both virtual, in-person, and much more. Check us out at tropicalmba.com and give us some feedback on this brand spanking new website. Because it's time for a spanking. Friend and DC BKK attendee, mentioned to me this phrase and I thought it was funny because I immediately knew what it was. She asked me, who was your conference buddy? And it like immediately clicked with me. Does that resonate with you? Like, did you have a conference buddy during GCBKK? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just thinking about all my conference buddies right now. I have a warm spot in my heart. Carry on. (laughs) So you had multiple conference buddies. I think that that's common too. But so then I asked a bunch of other people who was your conference buddy? And they immediately said, oh, it was this person. And there's some interesting ideas around this conference buddy, which is like, uh, it's the person you connect with deeply at the conference. It's the person that you walk away with thinking like, this was really fun experience. And I met this person and now they are 
not only my conference buddy, but I believe they will evolve into my buddy ultimately. There's two types of people that come over to your house, Ian. The first type is you're like, hey, uh, do you need any more uh, chips and dip? Uh, chips and dip over here. I can get you a chips and dip, Diet Coke. We got Diet Coke. We got some water. And there's another type of house guest where you're like, here's a remote. I got to go to the bathroom. You know? Yeah. And a conference buddy is that person you give the remote to because you can kind of hang out in the conference without being on. You switch off with the conference buddy and you just enjoy the moment in a way that you can't when you're serving chips and dip. It's true. <laughs> it's totally true. You know, another phenomenon that's loosely related to the conference buddy is like the person that keeps showing up. There was like 400 people at this event and somehow like I saw the same 10 people, which is weird because <laughs> it like wasn't planned. But you look across the room and like there they are. You look across the room in another direction like there they are again. Meanwhile, there's some people that you didn't see the whole time. <laughs> At the event, I'm like, how is this physically possible? I love that. Yeah, like you all got your track, whether it's like, we just both love smoked salmon and executive lounge access, <laughs> or it's funny that you even like a person and you never see them. You don't know they got their own track. <laughs> it's very strange, man, some of the dynamics that are going on at these conferences. Here's a dynamic for you, Ian. We'll call it the... Uh, See your teacher at Subway on a Wednesday afternoon outside of high school. Oh, this is um, terrible. <laughs> there's like a conference context, and then there's like an out-of-conference context. And one of the things that's happened at this year's DCBKK is conference context started before I was personally ready for it. I showed up on Monday. I'm wearing the 2017 Cancer Run t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the conference is on, and I'm like, "Whoa, <laughs> I'm not ready with my elevator pitch yet." You know what I mean? <laughs> well, basically, what happened is essentially people start to come in earlier and earlier and earlier for the conference. I mean, this was easily a two week conference for some people, which is just incredible. I mean, we got there Sunday night, and already you got in the lobby, and I was like, "I see five DCers. Like, I love seeing you guys, but this is just too early." Like you said, it's like seeing your teacher at Subway. You're like, I am high as shit right now. I cannot be ordering this turkey melt next to you. <laughs> I thought what you did was correct run-on sentences. It's weird to see you eating food. Like that is not, you know. <laughs> Anyways, lesson learned here, which is like, uh, maybe we go over to the Marriott for the first couple of days and then head over to the, the Conrad? Perhaps. Perhaps in the future, we need to tighten up our conference window. Speaking of tighten up, this year we focused on unlimited drinks and food. Where do you come down? Are you an unlimited drinks or unlimited food person? Well, I really headed up this campaign this year. It used to be all about the unlimited drinks. In fact, I was talking with... Um, Anar, who was a speaker and uh, came to the event. I think he was one of my good conference buddies. I had a good time with him. Anyways, I kind of explained in the old days. I was like, yeah, dude, it used to be wild. He's like, oh, I heard. So <laughs> I, I think DCBKK has a reputation. But part of that was because like, we focused on like these unlimited drinks for so long. It was just like what we had to do. We we're just like, I can't let anybody, especially myself, be thirsty. You know? And as a conference organizer, I have to take advantage of this. And be pretty buzzed by the end of the night. So 
this was like kind of our MO for a long time. But then, you know, as we hit our 40s, I was like, hey, Dan, what do you think about uh, focusing on unlimited food instead of drinks? And uh, I think it's working out well. I think people are very happy about this decision. But we all know if you're really serious about getting buzzed, unlimited food is an amazing asset. Speaking of a buzz, I've heard Jordan Gao call it a CEO bomb, which is everything's on track. you got a good team. But as the owner of the company, you have, the, what's the opposite of a veto? A neto? You're allowed to come into a meeting and say, you want something? And everybody eventually has to begrudgingly do it. It's like one of the, not always, but you know, I remember last year you showed up to a meeting and you were like, I would like a motor vehicle on the stage. And everybody looks around and is like, what the f*** is this guy talking about? Like, why is that even relevant? And you were like, look, trust me, motor vehicle on the stage, like the stage where speakers are going to be. Yes. On the yes. stage. It turned out to be a great neato. That was like exactly why you're the founder of the company. Like only you could see that. Only you could get that through Congress. Same thing with this unlimited food concept. No one's going to raise their hand and say that that's a neato. Here's another one. I love bucket caps. I love bucket caps. They're so useful. They cover your neck. They cover your ears. When you're doing tropical things, the number one thing you're going to want is a bucket cap. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. Nobody thought this was a good idea, including our attendees. So I'm walking around, <laughs> walking around the conference before the party, and I typically there's good vibes at DCBKK, but I'm getting stank faces. People like, no thanks, uh, no thanks. I've got an ensemble, and that bucket cap will be like a nuclear powered weapon to my ensemble. No, I'm not wearing a bucket cap. Do I look like a bucket cap person to you? No. Okay. I get ashamed of my decision, my neato, to have bucket caps, which, by the way, came in all sizes and colors with beautiful DC logos on them. <laughs> but I went to Ian's party, of which there was unlimited food and unlimited drinks. That's right. And on drink number two, I start to think to myself, well, here's what happens. I start to get some compliments on my bucket cap. Oh, yeah. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll give it a second chance. So I go down to the staff room and I pull out these bucket caps and uh, creates a frenzy. I don't want to overstate it, but people after two or three drinks are like, oh, bucket cap, bucket cap, man. That's, can't believe you guys got bucket caps. It's incredible. I mean, people, the enthusiasm level was through the roof. So I don't know what it is, but a, a bucket cap, much like certain people you might have dated in your past, pretty good after two drinks, not so great before two drinks. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of those things, just a, it's an acquired taste. And for most people, it took two drinks. Yeah. <laughs> I had a, a hat story as well. Lisa and Ian from Authentic Leather Patch Company, they always do a great job of supplying our attendees with hats. Shout and, out. Um, yeah, this year I asked Lisa, I said, hey, can you make some special DC black hats for attendees? And she said, sure, no problem. And so she shows up and she has this big duffel bag. And in the duffel bag are all these DC black hats. And then there's this one hat with like gold foil on it. And it was amazing looking. And like the whole team is like standing there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Lisa, these hats are amazing, especially this gold one. I was like, can I it's take It's like this? that scene in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark when the Ark comes out and everybody's like, whoa. 
What's yeah, it was like on? a hat we'd never seen before. And I was like, well, this is unique. I was like, can I have this? You know, and the whole team is like standing around. And she's like, yeah, sure. And Alex is like, yeah, sounds good. And so like I take the hat and I like go to my room. And then like a day or two goes by and we're like talking about the golden ticket winner. The golden ticket winner is essentially we give away a free ticket to DCBKK and a steak dinner and a massage and all this stuff. And it's really cool. It's for somebody that's always deserving. And it's the golden ticket. And so we're talking about this golden ticket winner and like what they get. And then they're talking about the hat. And I start to think like, wait a second, I have a golden hat in my room and there's a golden ticket holder. I wonder if that's for the golden ticket winner. And so I asked the team, I said, were they supposed to get that hat that I took? And everybody kind of looks at me like, yeah, that was their hat. And I go, guys, you can't just let me take the hat. That's unacceptable. I can't just come in here and take the hat. You got to stop me. We got to so. re-examine our culture. <laughs> You're allowed to say no. Takes the hat and we're just standing there awkwardly like, oh God, he didn't go to the golden ticket meeting. I, I think he missed uh, the meeting about the golden ticket. <laughs> we have to make apologies to our customer. By the way, shout out to Antoine for winning the golden ticket with the spa, a steak dinner, free ticket to DCBKK 2024. Incredible. Another cool moment that involves swag. I want to shout out to Dustin Overbeck from TownWeb and HeyGov. Dustin shipped us one of these incredible neon tropical MBA like you'd see in a bar, right? It's beautiful. Yeah, it's like this three by three foot tropical MBA neon sign. Yeah, I mean, uh, handcrafted by some guy where he lives in Egypt. So beautiful. It was like looking at the Ark. Hopefully we can get it on our video set up here in the coming months if we can ever get these faces on video. But I just wanted to, to shout out to Dustin. Just like lots of cool vibes going around the room like that. But also, Dustin was the one who connected us with Sharif, the designer, who made the most amazing Tropical MBA logo that you look at on your phone right now that looks like our inspiration was the Tom Cruise movie Cocktails and Dreams or Hot Ones, that YouTube series that uses the neon sign. So shout out to Dustin for that connection. And that's the sort of thing that happens at DCBKK is, you know, you meet people and Dustin's always had like incredible design sense. And so he forged a relationship with Sharif and then we got to know Sharif and sure enough, Sharif helped us with the identity of our brand. Really cool. Dustin, by the way, shout out to giving him, he gave a great talk on hiring team members. He had some really counterintuitive ways of how he hires for HeyGov and TownWeb. One of the things I really love about DCBKK is that you're not just hearing the stock advice like, read top grading. It's like, Dustin's like, hey, I read top grading and then I hired 15 people and here's what happened. And like, you're getting that processed lived experience through him and I'm making notes, you know, going to our recruiting company, maybe we can learn from Dustin's experience. So that's part of where the rubber meets the road there. It's not all fun and swag and bucket hats and neon signs and stuff, but it's also, you know, Dustin's growing an incredible company and sharing with us the lessons along the way. So pretty cool. Yeah, let's do a few business reflections here, Ian, about the conference itself. First off, we wrote down a plea for help, the public perception I think it's really interesting how the concept of a brand follows, it lags behind what you're actually doing. I think one of the interesting things is when you get new people who come into the DC 
I think they often think it's just lower level than it is. And this is part of the reason from a public perspective, I think it's really cool that we're doing DC Black, which is like, we've got like this large group of folks that average multi-million dollars in revenues that have large teams, et cetera, because there are so many of those members in the room. Yet I think a lot of people who've been listening to the pod, hanging out in America or whatever, they assume, oh, there's like digital nomad types who are like, selling courses online, making a couple thousand bucks a month who show up to DCBKK and hang out there for a couple weeks. And then I think people show up to be a speaker. They come to be a guest facilitator. They take a risk because they're going to visit some family in Thailand anyway. And they're like, oh, I had no idea. This is a very common brand response. And I think this year, like in the previous years, I was always delighted by that in like a weird, sick, twisted way. Like, Gotcha. This is actually amazing. Check it out. We hid it from you guys. Didn't know. Secret conference. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I'm it's not true. a very talented business person. But of course, this represents a problem with our brand as well, which it doesn't appropriately represent what we're on about, what we're doing. We're focused on some of the most elite entrepreneurs the most incredible remote businesses in the world. Like some amazing people are coming through these conferences. And, you know, I guess it's just something that we've been joking about and working on as well. Honestly, it's like you wrote down plea for help and I think you're right. So does anybody know like the person that uh, did the Bud Light turnaround? <laughs> <laughs> Let us know. Maybe we can hire them we'll and uh, see if we can person. have a similar result. I think result. they're available. I think they're available actually. <laughs> but the idea here really isn't a new logo. We actually have like a bit of a brand problem, which you mentioned, is this a digital nomad conference or is this a business conference? And I think what people from the outside probably think is it's like a digital nomad conference. What it actually is, is a business conference for people that care about where they live and actually have a choice and a say in that. So it's one of these things that you don't do on purpose. It just kind of evolves with you and the way that things go. But the way that things are going for us right now, Dan, I think that we need to figure out like a way to kind of rate the ship in terms of the brand. And honestly, I'm not sure exactly how to do it. Plea for help. We'll leave it out there. See what the audience says. They know more about it than us. That much is obvious. One other thing we've really been focused on is team alignment and going all in on events. Personally, inside baseball, never been short on ideas at this company, but often short on execution. It was a really unique experience sitting around the table this year and seeing so many talented people on our team that are all in. A lot more of those CEO bombs getting executed on this year because we have such an incredible, talented, dedicated team. And from the executive level, from me and you, that's about really getting serious about the business model, bringing in a finance person, and taking upon ourselves to make it make sense to deliver at a high level. So it's a fully aligned thing through the whole company that you have to be able to make it make sense financially to put the team in place that can deliver at a high level. And I think this was a year where that came together for us. So hopefully we can keep that going. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Me and you sat down after the event and we looked at everything that we laid out for 2023. And we had like, check, 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 check next to everything. And these were a lot of ambitious goals, I thought. Probably our most ambitious year in a long time. 
in terms of team composition, things that we're trying to achieve, products that we launched, experiences, events, like all these things like got done. I think in like past years, like me and you kind of sat around, dreamed about some stuff and then like got a few things done. It's not to say like we weren't like working that hard. It's just that I don't think like our horsepower was pointed in the right direction necessarily with the right people on the bus. So 2023 felt like a really good year for us and we're starting to ink 2024 and it's starting to look just as good and ambitious as this year. And I think that's super exciting. One final piece on like our sort of personal business reflections is the event space is more competitive than ever, especially coming out of COVID. Event and community is on everybody's minds as the hot business model. It's the new SaaS. And I think that's inspiring and motivating to us that, you know, we have to, we have direct comps. Now, like DCBKK was a one of one for a very long time. And now there's a lot of different places that you can go to find people that are running cash flow, bootstrapped digital businesses. So I think one of the things that we're really focused on as a company right now is delivering these experiences at a world-class value. And I think if you were to ask people that went to DCBKK and you know the average ticket price is, I don't know, 800 bucks, it's a four-day event nominally, right? But I think a lot of people would say, wow, I mean, there was a lot getting delivered for 800 bucks. And I get that experience at a lot of DC events, our DCX events, et cetera. And it's something that we're really, really leaning into because I see a lot of competitive events that are continuing to raise their prices. As a feature of the event, they raise the prices, right? Yeah. Well, only people that can spend $8,000 can come to this event. That's a feature of the event. And I think the way we're competing right now is by going the opposite direction. Our DC Black NYC event is $1,200. The reason we got the $1,200 we took the total cost of running out the amazing skybox at the New York Nets, the amazing private loft with the chef, everything, and we distributed that cost to the attendees in a community style. Why? Because our business model, number one, we make our money and staff our team based on the membership fees. And number two, we want them to come to the Europe event. And then we want them to come to the Asia event. And then we want them to come to DCBKK. So at a certain point, it doesn't matter how rich you are, you're going to start to look at value. And we want to be able to drive that value and ultimately meet our mission of connecting members. So that's publicly stated, the strategy right now, is we're trying to drive the cost of these amazing events down. It doesn't mean we want to do cheap events. It just means that I want it to be an incredible value when people come to a DC event such that they find it affordable and relevant to go to the next one. And you mentioned how our plan came together this year. I think one of the things, as I was sharing our strategy with our members, like, hey, here's how we're taking things, is to hear that echoed back to us. We had a member who said that she had quit communities that cost three and four times as much. They were getting more value out of our community. I've heard the same from very wealthy members who were going to expensive events and said, wow, I'm paying a fraction to go to your events. I'm around better people. I'm getting a better event. And I think that that's a testament to the strategy and the business model. And so hopefully we can continue to move that to the next phase. It seems like we had a really good year with that strategy and we want to continue that in the next year. So I don't know. That's the strategy. That's what we're going with. Yeah. All right, Ian, we want to polish off our DCBKK reflections with some trends. I'll start off with the trend of increased 
financialization. 10 years ago, we were like, we think we're doing a smart thing, but no one's really paying attention over here. And the narrative of the last decade has essentially been more and more people paying attention. And it started with services. And then it started with former professionals. It's like, oh, I quit my job at Goldman to start an internet business. It's like, okay, all right, cool. Yeah, we understand why you would do that. And now finally, we're looking at financial organizations getting interested, you know, brokers, M&A firms, bankers, investors, operators who used to operate more Silicon Valley style businesses or whatever, looking at getting into our space. And so you're just seeing small examples of this everywhere. We have a, a member, Dom Wells, started a public company on Folio. We have a member, Richard Jelly Chandra, who is on our podcast, who founded the first Amazon roll-up. I'll tell the story real quick. Ian's neighbor decides he has some free time and likes Ian, so goes to Ian's conference. Ian's neighbor, wealthy guy, traditional money guy, comes to the conference and sees, oh my God, these are incredible assets. And then decides to raise money and roll up the businesses that are contained within the DC. There you go. You get your Amazon roll-up trend or the first example of it from the connection that happens at these events. Now, more and more connections are starting to happen like this. Money people are showing up, poking in, opening up the door of the Conrad and saying, my gosh, this is where the wealth is being generated. All I've asked Richard in return is, can I swim in his pool? And the answer is yes. And it happened <laughs> several times this summer. So it's been great for me Thank as you well. for the pool. It's been a great, <laughs> it's a great pool. <laughs> we also heard a great talk from a DC Black member, Marcus, about creating a venture studio and what are the different trends if you want to have more of a portfolio approach to your holdings. So there's just definitely a lot more of this idea that, hey, what we're doing here is the reliable way to wealth. And that's not been the entrepreneurship narrative the past decade in our space. Why? Because venture capitalists have defined and decreed the message. Because if you're making $3 million a year profit on Amazon.com, guess what you're not doing? Talking about it. You are not talking about it. You might go to DCBKK, but you're not going to write a blog about it. You're not going to start a podcast about it. But if you're a VC, it's the exact opposite. The way the dynamics of the industry work, you need to have large distribution of your message. You need to get a lot of people opted into your message. You need to get a little bit of chunk of each of those companies. And you need one or two or three of those companies to work out and your whole career gets made. And that's been the entrepreneurship narrative for the better part of a decade. And now all of a sudden, you got a bunch of people saying, you know what? I'll just take a couple million bucks on Amazon. Yeah. And you can uh, call me a lifestyle business if you want. And call I'm me a lifestyle it, business. And I'm going to like it. And you're going to have to deal with the fact that I like it. You know what? Give me the bucket cap. Give me the bucket cap. <laughs> Uh, speaking of which, a trend is how are people getting wealthy? And we both had the same answer because you're seeing a lot more people get wealthy and it's really heartening because the numbers are better than a couple people in a venture portfolio and a bunch of dead businesses. But what we're seeing is a lot of people get wealthy and it is inspiring because the numbers are pretty decent and the path is fun as well. And by the way, the living ain't bad on the way there. What we're seeing is people 
who hang around in the game for about 10 years. That's about what it takes. And it's a long time, but it's not that long. Like we said, you might get to live in Thailand for a little bit along the way. So how bad can it be? It might be like worth revisiting the thousand day principle at some point. It's like a three-year time horizon, essentially, right? It's like what happens like year six, year nine, year 12, because we actually get to see these things now, which is probably pretty pattern. funny. reason you wrote the thousand day principle is because we were only in it for three years at that time. So it was like, yeah. oh, I got I to gotta write this. I wrote the thousand day principle on day 1300 about. <laughs> yeah, right. So timely. So I think it's maybe it's time that we write the 3000 day principle. Yeah. One of the interesting things that's happening is uh, like massive exits. So that was a theme for me at GCBKK. Saw a couple old friends that had really meaningful, life-changing, forever done money exits. Yeah, um, And these are people that we started with uh, way back in the day. Their businesses grew, a lot of them in the DC. And then watching them have these exits is really amazing to see. Number one, that it takes this long. Because I think if you asked me back then like how long this stuff takes, Especially because like the only narratives we had was like watching venture funding, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, millionaire by like 22. Well, I'm 25. Is it too late? So didn't have a lot of good examples. And, and now we're starting to see them and just how long it takes. And it's not that it takes too long necessarily. It's just like it could take five years. It could take 15 years. And now we've seen both of those scenarios play out. Yeah. If you stick to the mission and you compare yourself to yourself, and you stay on your 1,000-day, your 2,000, your 3,000-day journey, you can have reliable expectations of decent results, I think, provided you check in with third parties. And I'm not saying that a little bit of luck doesn't help, a little bit of starting point and privilege or all these things that people say, well, what abouts, but what abouts, but what abouts. But we're not on this podcast or listening to this show because we're the what about crowd. So I think it's heartening to see people that dove in and who try to create value for the world, who built meaningful businesses, who upskilled, who built their networks, actually having these sorts of results that have been glorified in the press, but have been really low probability. We're seeing the probabilities in our crowd be pretty, pretty decent. And downside protection being pretty great as well, which means if you don't have the life-changing exit yet, not only does life look pretty good in the mean term, you're upskilling, you're de-risking, you're presented with a lot of opportunities. You can go to the dentist in the middle of the day. And there's always that opportunity that the next project or product that you create is your breakout opportunity. Like Charlie Munger says, you only need to get rich once. There you go. Happy birthday. By the way, you just turned 100. <laughs> Happy birthday, Charlie. All right. We'll round out the episode with your favorite DCBKK story, Ian. Well, certainly not my favorite, but noteworthy. I rode back home in style with Richard Branson, actually, a couple seats behind me on the plane. What happened? Yeah. What? It was pretty interesting. Got to meet Richard Branson in the lounge, and then turns out he's flying back uh, to Heathrow, which was BKK to Heathrow. So I hung out with him for a bit and Laura Roeder. So it was a fun little piece of icing on the cake as I left DCBKK this amazing experience with all these amazing entrepreneurs. I didn't have the guts to ask him for anything, like to be on the podcast or come to the next DCBKK, but uh, maybe next time we meet. That's the kind of guys we are. For better or for worse. <laughs> you know? It's true. 
<laughs> I did not shoot my shot. <laughs> yeah, that's for better or for worse. It's like, you know, there's like, there's a protocol and a lot of internet people are pretty willing to break the protocol. And I, I, I appreciate that about most DCers aren't going to break that protocol. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe you should ask them to be on the pod, but I think it's cool that you gave them like an ounce of respect. You didn't instantly try to monetize your relationship with a human being. I think that's <laughs> what it comes down to, man, is I don't want to be treated that way if I was in his position. Speaking of human beings, a couple stories popped up from the big event that, I mean, there's so many stories. This is my favorite part, but one family, the McKeegans, David McKeegan has been listening to this podcast since the early, early days. In fact, he used to give us helpful comments advice, questions. He's always sort of prompted us like, hey guys, you know, cute pod. Maybe if you answered this question or got this right, you'd sound a little bit more professional. But he's always been supportive, came to the events. We've hung out a lot personally. And he's just been a stunning example of how you can do this location independent thing, how you can do it with a family. And it doesn't mean that you need to lack any ambition in the process. Recently, the McKeegan sold Greenback Tax Services, which was a brilliant exit. But they've retained this company called Clear.Tax. And in a full circle moment, they were the headline, one of the headline sponsors of DCBKK. It's just so cool. It's a common DC story. You know, David emailing us back in 2010 about how to improve the podcast and sponsoring DCBKK in 2023, bringing along his family and his son, who was a volunteer at the conference. And uh, I think that that's makes me proud about the brand and the sort of event that we're building. So excited about that. Speaking of cool people, there was also a member who shared her story from stage. Her name is Sophia Grande. I just want to shout her out this kind of incredible story. Here's the way it was told from stage. She's a student at a university in America, goes to her professor and says, I own a couple companies. I would like to learn how to do this digital nomad thing. Professor's like, ah, there was once a student, grad student here who did that. Go talk to him. All she hears is like his name, finds him on the internet, reaches out to this guy. And this guy is like, look, if you want to do that, there's one place in the world where that happens. It's in Bangkok. And you're currently on the other side of the world. There's these people that fly to Bangkok in October. And if you can somehow get in that room, you're going to learn all you need to know about how to make money irrespective of your location. So she tracks us down. Anyway, ends up getting the scholarship ticket, which is another cool tradition. There's so many things we can't even mention on the show. For every event, we have a scholarship, which is basically the newest member who's getting started, who hasn't yet gone to an event, gets like everything paid. They get the flight paid, they get the ticket paid. And the idea is we're gonna welcome somebody into the community. And, and Sophia was that person. And she was cool enough to get up on stage and share like the weird kind of path that she followed to get into the room. And I think it was inspiring for a lot of us remembering that the path to get to where we want to be in life isn't clear for a lot of us. We don't know how we're going to get there necessarily. We just know where we want to go. I don't think Sophia imagined she was going to be on a stage in Bangkok in front of 400 people sharing how she went on the internet deep dive and rabbit trail to figure out that there's 400 people somewhere in the world doing what she wants to do. And I think that was inspiring for us to see ourselves 
through her eyes. And uh, it's pretty cool too to see that the desire to grow these sorts of calm lifestyle or freedom businesses is only growing. And it's cool to be a part of a trend that is so far standing the test of time and that continues to deliver for the people who invest in it and continues to be something that's exciting and worth pursuing as a career. Well, Ian, we had a great time. I want to shout out to everyone who came out to DCBKK. If you were there, thanks for being a part of this incredible week. It's a unique event. I was speaking with a team earlier today in that we depend so much on the attendees that, in fact, our strategy as event hosts is to get more participation. It's not, you know, there's 10 speakers and then there's 300 of us watching the speakers or whatever. It's actually finding ways to get every single individual's talents, their passions, engaged in some unique way so that everyone can be a contributor. I feel like everybody's experience is improved if more people participate. And so thank you for coming out, for participating, for sharing your story, your knowledge, your talent, your expertise, and for connecting with the rest of us. It was a magical week. Uh, we're looking forward to next year. We've sold all-time tickets, by the way, for next year's event. We do a pre-sale, and it was like the vote with the wallet was like a thud. Our finance person is like, yo, what is up with your pricing? <laughs> <laughs> Any final reflections, Ian? It's time to start planning. That's one thing that I realized with DCPKK this year is like it's a full-on contact sport for months in advance. Never ends. And so we got to start planning now. All right, back to work. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.